Good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana, because today we're in part four of our sermon series entitled Nav Plan. But before we jump into today's conversation, remember what Sunday of the month this is? This is the fourth Sunday of the month, right? So every fourth Sunday of the month, what we do is we go above and beyond our normal generosity to show our communities that we're for them. We always call it every fourth Sunday, the $4 for others. And each month, what we do is we take those gifts that you give specifically to this $4 for others um, generosity movement. Basically, we take it, give it to an organization in our communities that serves our communities so that we can bless them and help them go further faster. And remember, um, even though we say $4, it's not about the amount, it's that all of us are coming together at all of our campuses to bless our communities that we live in. So this month, what we're going to do is we're going to bless the organizations in all of our communities that provide weekly food packs for children in our communities that are identified as underserved. So in every county that we have churches in, there are kids who would not have access to food on the weekends, oftentimes even in the evenings, if it was not supplied through backpack for kids kind of programs that are in our communities. So here is how you give. There was an envelope on your seat when you came in today, and you can put that, you can put the money in that, and you can drop it in the giving boxes on your way out today, or you can scan this QR code if you want to do that, and you can give through the four fund that will come up when you scan the QR code, or you can go to the RCC app to give to the four fund digitally. So you can go ahead and do that right now. Now, and uh, while you're doing that, let me just say, hey, thank you so much again for being a church that really is all about people knowing that God is for them by the way that we are for them through the many different expressions of for that you as a church do every month in your communities. Now, go ahead and grab your Bibles, your talk notes, whatever you're going to take notes on, and let's jump into today's conversation. And let me just say, if today is the first time that you're with us, or if you've missed some of the previous sermons in this series, I would encourage you to go watch or listen on the app as well, because... Um, we're, in this series of conversations, we're going into a journey of a greater discovery of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to have a growing, strong, mature, and here's the key word, adult faith. So whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a short period of time or for many years or you're with us today and, and you're just still trying to figure this whole thing out of what does it mean to follow Jesus, if you still got a lot of questions and a lot of doubts, the first thing I want to say to you, as you heard in hosting today, uh, we have a new environment that we've created this year called Explore. I would encourage all of you that have any kind of questions, you want to make sure that you're locking into this mature adult faith, Explore is all about that. It's about answering any questions about any kind of doubt or any kind of things that you want to just uh, have discussion about. It's taking this series to a whole nother level. I would encourage you to be part of that, all your campuses, September the 10th. But here's why this conversation is important for every one of us, and that is this. Everything has a starting point. You had a starting point, as we said throughout this series, every relationship you had, every career, your education, your good habits, your bad habits, they all had a starting point. And the thing that most of us don't understand or don't think about is the same thing is true of our faith. Everything has a starting point, including your faith. See, for most of us, our faith, it started whenever we were kids, and somebody, they would take us to church or a temple or a Christian school, and they would say something like this. Here's what I believe is true about God, and you should believe the same thing. And guess what you did? 
because it was somebody you admired, somebody you looked up to, somebody who had a voice of authority. They said, hey, this is true about God and faith and the Bible. So you grew up with this understanding of faith. You grew up with this framework of God based upon what you were taught as a child, which you assumed was accurate. And it worked great for you until it didn't. See, it worked great until what you begin to experience in life didn't exactly line up with what you had been taught or the framework that you had for God. And so what you did is you found yourself wrestling with doubt and you started having these gaps and there was all these discrepancies that caused you maybe to drift away from faith, even being a significant part of your life, maybe it even caused you to walk away from faith. And then every once in a while, something happened that would make you want to rethink faith. But you just didn't see how you could reconcile what you had experienced in life with the framework of faith that you had been taught as a child. And because that's true for so many of us, we're having this conversation around the whole idea. If you didn't know anything about God and faith, where would you start the conversation. Like if you could somehow forget everything that you had known, reboot your faith, start all over, like what kind of questions would you ask? What would you read? Like maybe what would you learn that maybe you've been told something different? What would you learn differently? How might you view faith differently if you started this journey as an adult? Because as we've been saying, everything has a starting point including your faith. And we absolutely believe that as adults, you need a starting point for an adult faith because here's why. Everything has a starting point, including your faith, but how you start, it determines the direction you go and the direction you go determines the outcome that you have. And so what we discovered around here is oftentimes adults need a new starting point for their faith so they start having new outcomes. A starting point beyond just believe this because somebody told you this is true, just believe this because the Bible says so. No, it's not that those things that you were taught were bad. It was an appropriate starting point for a child, but it was never intended to sustain us as an adult. It's why so many adults say, okay, I'm having, I feel like I'm having, and I've heard this conversation so many times as a pastor. It's like so many adults find themselves having to support their faith during a time of crisis rather than feeling like their, their faith is supporting them in the challenges and the trying moments of, of their life. So today what I want to do is I want to introduce an idea, and as you're beginning to understand, some of you are picking up on this, you're going like, all of these conversations really are important for us to understand what it means to have a mature adult faith, absolutely. And so today, I'm going to introduce another idea that is maybe a very key reason for why many of you do not have a mature adult growing kind of faith. It's also maybe a key reason why many of you kind of walked away from faith or you left church altogether when you were like in your teenage years or early 20 years. See, here's the thing. Most of us have never figured this out or at least understood it accurately. And as a result, what it's done, it's messed with our view of God. It's messed with how we view God and what we think faith is about. Now, it's the idea, and you may want to write this down, it's the whole idea of what role does rules play in our faith journey? Because as we talked about before, 
Here's the reality. Every religion has rules, right? Every religion has rules. And every religion has a rule maker. But here's the reality. We don't get to be the rule maker, do we? Right? Somebody else is always making the rules, and, and that can kind of be frustrating for us. Somebody else made the rules, now we're supposed to follow the rules. Maybe that's why some people go out and they start their own religion because they want to make up their own rules, right? But, but think about it. One of the reasons that none of us like rules, and I think it's also why some of us just kind of have an inaccurate view of rules, is this. Is most religious rules run contrary to our natural tendencies, like, haven't we all thought at some point, you know, if I like to do something or if I think it's fun, then there is probably a rule against it. Haven't you all thought that? Like, if there's something I love to do, if it's fun, then there's like this rule that I'm going to read in the Bible one day and, and God is against it. Now, here's what I find interesting. Every religion has rules, but no religion has the same rules. Like nobody can agree on what they should be, what those rules should be. So what I'm gonna do for just a moment is I'm gonna pick on Christianity for just a moment, but it's true for all religions. Like in Christianity, there are thousands of versions of rules. Like Catholic, Catholics have rules, Protestants have all kinds of rules, and, and they can't even figure it out, like one or two sets of that. No, Protestants have like millions of different variations of rules, right? I grew up Mennonite. We had our own set of rules. But the thing that was interesting is there are so many different sets of rules even within the Mennonite denomination, right? Like the Mennonites couldn't agree on what the rules should be. Presbyterians have rules. Charismatic and Pentecostal, they have rules. Like Baptists, they have their rules. Now, here's the thing. If you grew up like Mennonite and Baptist, you never thought the Methodists had enough rules. Like, right? Like, because it's like we go to school and us Baptists or the Baptists and the Mennonites would hear the Methodists talk and man, they got to drink and they got to dance. It's like, what kind of a man? It just wasn't fair. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter which religious tradition you grew up in, whether you're Methodist or Baptist or Mennonite or Charismatic or Pentecostal, there was plenty of guilt in every denomination to go around, wasn't it? And none of us, even the Methodists, they couldn't keep all the rules. So, so guess what happened? Each group or each denomination, right? They thought the other group or the other denominations out there were all hypocritical in their rules. I mean, think about it. You know, this group would be point high. Oh, look at what they do. Or look at what they do. They're a bunch of hypocrites over there. And the truth is, looking back, like, we were all nuts in some ways, weren't we? Like, it didn't matter what denomination you're in. Like, we were all nuts. We all got it wrong when it came to this whole rule thing. But here's the thing. We only saw issues with the hypocrisy in the other groups or the other denominations, right? And meanwhile, nobody in any denomination could follow their own rules. So everybody felt guilt, shame, and condemnation about all these rules. And some of you, you grew up in that kind of environment, didn't you? I mean, they were suffocating all of these rules and you not being able to keep the rules and not knowing where you stood with God or the church because you couldn't keep the rules. And part of the reason that as a teenager, you walked away from church or faith, or maybe you walked away from it because those rules, they literally weaken your faith instead of growing your faith. 
But then what we know is if you look at scripture, there are clearly rules that are given in scripture. And if you're a rebel, like all of us tend to be, then you find yourself like resisting anything that even feels like a rule, which tends to make you resist faith entirely, right? Now, so some years ago, I experienced a mind shift, and I am so grateful for a man by the name of Levi Somers. He helped me so much in this, of understanding the place of rules in my relationship with God. And it absolutely began me on a journey of setting me free from the bondage of the guilt, shame, and condemnation of rules. And the result of that mind shift was not only I set free from the bondage of the guilt and the shame and condemnation, I was, being able, was able for the very first time to begin to experience faith of another, another kind, a growing, vibrant, maturing kind of faith. And honestly, my prayer for every one of you is that the same will be true for you today, that this will just be a mind-shifting day. So let's start with this premise today. Can we start with this? Here's the mind shift that I pray you experience today, and that is this. Rules always assume some kind of relationship. Don't miss that. Rules always assume some kind of relationship. I mean, th this is like true in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in the church, wh wherever you're at. If there are rules, the assumption is there is some kind of relationship. Now, there are at least three big categories of rules and relationships. You probably wanna write some of this stuff down. There are at least three big categories of rules and relationships, rules of how they interact with relationships. You can think of the first one as what we call the family model. See, like when you were a kid, your parents had some family rules that you had to follow, right? But the reality is in the family model, the relationship precedes the rules. In other words, you didn't become part of your family because you followed the rules. And you weren't kicked out of your family because you didn't follow the rules. See, the point of the rules in your family were not to punish you. No, your relationship came first and then there were some rules. Those rules were put in place to protect you. You were given rules so that you would grow into this mature adult. You were given rules to teach you some responsibility, to teach you hard work, to teach you respect, to help build the character in your life and to help you get along and live alongside of everybody else in your family well, right? And eventually what happened as you grew and mature, you outgrew the rules, didn't you? Like when you learned the qualities and the characteristics and the traits that you needed because of the rules that the rules needed to teach you, then the rules weren't needed anymore. Like once you got older, like you still, you started still pitched in with the dishes, you still took out the trash. I mean, you did what your parents told you to do or you even told your parents where you were going even though you didn't need to because it wasn't because of the rules. It was because now you had grown past the rules to now love them as a family. You matured in your love and you outgrew the rules, but you didn't outgrow the family. Now, here's what's interesting about the whole family model when it comes to rules, and that is this. Parents only set rules for their own children. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, there's some kids I wish I could set some rules for. 
We've all seen those kids, right? Kids from other families like, oh, I wish I could set their rules. But that's just not how it works it. Because you don't have a relationship with those kids. Like, you don't call up your neighbor's children and say, hey, turn off that video game or that TV or whatever you're doing on the computer and do your homework. Why? Because they're not your kids. Now, this is so important. When it comes to the whole family model, you gotta understand, rules are for members of the family only. Rules don't make you or keep you part of the family. The rules are because you are part of the family. So that's the first category, the family model. Now, there's another category of rules, and that's what we're gonna call the work model. Now, the work model is a little different. With the work model, you agree to follow a set of rules in order to get in, right? You agree to set a, uh, follow a certain set of rules so that you can get in, or you agree to keep a certain set of rules in order to stay in. So work rules, they establish the relationship. So when you go to work at a new place, once you agree to the rules, then like, you're in. If you break the rules, what happens? You're out, that's right. See, the same thing is true for like fraternities or sororities or clubs or social organizations, anything like that. So here's how it works. In the family model, you get the rules after the relationship. In the work model, you get the rules in order to establish a relationship. Now, there's one other category I wanna mention, and this is kind of a fun one. It's what we call the in-laws model. <laughs> See, in the in-laws model, you just never know where you stand. Am I in, am I out? Like, what are the rules? They keep making up new rules. I thought I was in. But then they just bought my wife and my children really expensive, nice gifts, everything they had on their Amazon wish list, right? And all they gave me was like these cheap Christmas socks that I hate, and they know I hate them. Like, I don't think we're on the same level. See, in the in-law model, there's a lot of passive-aggressive behavior. They can't kick you out of the family, but they can sure make you wish you were, <laughs> right? Like, you, you don't know what you did wrong, but you're pretty sure you did something wrong. You're pretty sure you broke some kind of rule. So these are the three models that people have when it comes to their mindset about rules, especially rules and their relationship with God. And the, and the point of each one of them is there is a relationship that accompanies rules. But when it comes to religion, this is where it starts getting really confusing. Like, is my relationship with God more like the family model or the work model or the in-law model? Think about that. As you've thought about rules in your relationship with God, what have you thought about? Has it been more like the family model? Oh, the reason there's rules is because I'm in, or oh, I had to keep the rules in order to get in, and if I don't keep them, then I'm out, or I just never know where I'm at. Here's the thing. When I talk about these models for our mindset about rules and God, some of you, you're gonna start processing these theologically. 
and that's okay. But I would encourage all of us to process them also emotionally. Because see, if you grew up feeling like it was the work model or the in-law model, here's what I know about you. You have never felt at peace about where you stand with God. You, you have always felt like, I don't measure up. And how in the world am I even supposed to know how to get it right? Well, well the good news, there is a way to know. And to dive into the answer for that and help you discover that and have that mind shift when it comes to rules and relationship with God, I wanna go to one of the most unlikely places that most of us would think about to understand this. You actually find the answer, which model is the real right model that we should think about when it comes to God in a set of rules? They're some of the oldest rules in history. In fact, they show up around 1446 B.C., God gave them to Moses. You know them as the 10 commandments. Now, the funny thing is this, hardly any one of you could name all 10 of the 10 commandments. Most of you know two or three, maybe four or five if you're an overachiever, like you had to go to vacation Bible school or Christian school, something like that. Like, you know, you know the ones like don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, but they're 10 and they're all very important. God gave the 10 commandments to Moses for the Israelite people. And when he gave it to them, understand something. When God gave the 10 commandments to the nation of Israel, don't miss this, this is so important. They were only like three months from being slaves to the nation of Egypt. It was at the end of 400 years of slavery and now they're free. They've been free for about three months. God has rescued them but they have never been free before. They don't even know how to live free. So God gives them some laws or some commands or some rules to help them understand how to operate as a free society, as a family, as a nation. So what I wanna do is I wanna read the introduction or the opening lines of God's 10 commandments because I think it's gonna help us understand the question of how rules and our relationship with God are connected. So if you got your Bibles, go with me to Exodus chapter 20 and we're gonna start in verse one. Here's what it says. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, I don't want you to miss this. It's so powerful. God opens up this conversation with the statement, I am your God. Right at the beginning of the conversation where God is about to lay out not just 10, but about 614 rules, God reminds them, hey, we have a relationship. I am your God. And they may be saying, oh, well, we haven't done anything for you. Like we've been slaves for like 400 years and God goes, oh, no, 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 I know that, but I am your God. In other words, God wanted them to know before any rules came, hey, you already have a relationship with me. Before any rules were made, before any rules were broken, before any rules were kept, you have a relationship with me. They were his people. He was their God because they trusted him to deliver them from Egypt. Just like we learned last week, this relationship, it began 
on trust and belief in God was who he said he was. And he says, okay, now that we have that established, we're gonna clear, we've got all this thing cleared up all about this relationship saying, I want you to understand, because we have a relationship, there are some rules that I'm gonna give you as your heavenly father that is going to help you live better as a nation. But here is the point of all of the commands. See, here's the thing we have to understand. The 10 commandments were a confirmation, not a condition of their relationship with God. It wasn't like, you better keep all 10 of these perfectly or you're not in with me. It wasn't like, if you mess up on five of these, then I'm kicking you out of the family. No, no, no. They had a relationship. These were just some of the family rules. See, it's kind of the same way when my children were growing up. There were certain rules that we had in our family. And you probably don't have some of the same rules that we had, but we had some rules because we were like, this is how we want to manage our family. So, for example, our kids, we had a rule where our kids could only play one sport per school year. So if my son picked football, it was football. If it was baseball, it was baseball. If it was basketball, one. And you go, one sport, yeah. Because we wanted to have a family. And I wanted to have time to invest in my son to build a relationship with him, lead him in a growing relationship with God. So that was our rule. Now, a lot of families don't have that. Their rule is you gotta play every sport if it's available, you know, because we want you out of the house. But it's like, I'm not saying that's a good rule either. But here's the thing. So our kids would come and compare the rules we had. So like we had another rule, you couldn't date till you were out of high school, right? And so our kids would compare all those rules to all the rules that other families had. And our thing was like, no, 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 no. They, they may do those kind of things. But there are certain things that we do as a family. This is the way that our family lives. And last night, as I knew I was gonna be talking about this and sitting around the dinner table with all of my kids, knowing I have a great relationship with my kids and a great relationship with God, I thought, you know, I'm glad I put these, some of these rules in place. Because I wanna tell you, this is a parent, this is a parental voice. Other parents and other families are going to condemn you or judge you based on the rules you put in place for your family. Ignore what they say. It's your family. You lead and love your family the way God calls you to lead and love your family. All right? So now let's get back on our topic, right? So the Ten Commandments were literally God's way of saying, hey, you're in my family. We have some family rules. Children of mine, don't do some things because it's for your good and it's for the good of everybody around you. Now, here's the thing. That's how God related to the nation of Israel all through scripture. It wasn't the work model and it wasn't the in-law model. It was the family model. So whenever the nation of Israel would mess up, and if you read the Old Testament, you know they messed up. You know what God would do? He would do what any good parent would do. He would count to three and put them in timeout. If you don't believe me, read the Old Testament prophets sometimes. And some of you kids thought you got put in timeout for a long time. God would put them in timeout for like 70 years, okay? Just saying. But they would get put in timeout sometime. God would discipline, but he never kicked them out of the family. Because with God, relationships precedes rules. So a parent only gives rules to their kids. God only gives rules to his children. The relationship always comes first. 
It's why the writer of Hebrews reminds the follower of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, of the words of Solomon. When Solomon said basically these words, he says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as fathers, addresses son? Notice this, this is words of encouragement because Solomon even understood that with God, relationship always precedes rules. So he says, and the writer of Hebrews is saying this, he says, you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, and these are the words of Solomon here, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So if you have found yourself like rebelling against and resisting rules, you, you need to really ask yourself this question. Are these really my heavenly father's rules? Because maybe they're not. Maybe just somebody made them up and, and told you that in the church or in the Sunday school that you're in. I don't know why they did, but maybe that's how they, their framework of God was. And, and they were trying to lead you, but it, it wasn't right. But if they are God's rules, you need to ask yourself, why would God give me these rules? And you gotta understand something. The answer to that question is not so you can earn your way into the family. Why would God give you these rules? It's because you're already in his family. You're already his child. And like any good parent, he gives rules to protect, provide, and guide you. So anything God requires of you is evidence of God's love for you. In fact, Jesus taught the same thing. He taught it wasn't just true for Jewish people. He says, this, this is true for all people. In fact, the apostle John, the disciple who Jesus, uh, or knew Jesus the best, he wrote about his experience with Jesus and here's what he describes. He says, yet to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, to those who believe in his name, as we talked about trusting in Jesus completely, that he is who he said he was, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. So John makes it very clear that Jesus comes along and says, hey, this whole thing of being part of the family, it's not just for Jewish people, it's for all the people. A relationship precedes the rules, not just for the Jewish people, but for all the people. The family model is true for everyone who believes in his name. It's true for people who were rule-keeping people, who were not rule-keeping people. Everyone can be part of the family because with God, relationships always precede rules. So anything that God asks you to do, it's just confirmation of his relationship with you, right? It's not a condition. Anything that he requires of you is evidence that he already loves you. In fact, on the evening that Jesus ate what we now know as the last supper with his disciples. He gave them a new command. He, he gave them a new rule. It was a rule that superseded all the previous rules. Because he says, I'm about to take family to a whole new level in this movement, this thing called the church. And John records for us in chapter 13, verse 34, what this new rule is for this new movement called the church, which is 
God's family. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I love you, so you must love one another. And while most of us are familiar with this command, we often miss what Jesus said before giving this command. Let's roll back and go to verse 33. Notice what he says. Everybody, want, everybody all of our campuses, Blountstown, Chipley, Mariana, everyone, I want you to say the first two words with me. Everybody ready? Here we go. My children. Let's do it one more time. My children. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You know what Jesus does? Jesus does what any loving parent would do before they leave their children alone and go on a trip. They remind them, hey, here are the rules for how we treat each other in our family. And the rules that the parent gives, they reflect the heart of love and grace and mercy and kindness for their children. Anything God requires of you is evidence that he already loves you because the reality with God, relationships precede rules. So let me give you a question to work through this week as your homework. In fact, I would encourage you to talk about this with your small group, with friends over lunch today. And by the way, if you're not in a small group, uh, today we, you can start signing up for small groups. You can go to our app, you can stop at the gallery. We'd love to talk to you about being a part of a small group this fall. But, but whatever you do, you need to discuss this question out loud with some people. Did you hear what I just said? You don't need to debate this theologically. You need to discuss this out loud with some people. And here, here's why. You don't need to go into this and go, well, I know what the right answer is. This isn't about this. This is about a mental shift in your mind. This is about what did you emotionally feel about rules and a relationship with God. So I wanna encourage you, while you discuss it at the theological level, also discuss it at an emotional level. So here's the question. Everybody ready? You wanna write it down. Growing up, did you feel like religion was based on the family model, the work model, or the in-law model? Which model shaped how you approach God? Was it the family model? Where it was like, hey, God loves me, I'm part of his family, even if I mess things up. He's gonna correct me, but he's not gonna kick me out. Was it the work model? Oh, I gotta live a certain way. And I gotta keep these rules and I gotta prove to God that I'm worth being in his family. And if I mess up, if I mess up too many times, I don't know how many times it is, but if I mess up too many times, then I'm just out. If I mess up too many times, then he's just gonna be done with me. Or was it the in-law model? Was it like, well, he has to love me because I prayed the prayer of salvation, but he's just not really happy that I'm in his family, so he just kind of tolerates me. Which one is it? I want you to talk about this with some people this week because I think you'll be surprised what you learn about yourself as you talk and as you learn from others. 
And I'm just telling you, it's important to have a mind shift moment where, where when it comes to this whole rule thing and a relationship with God, if you're ever gonna have a growing, vibrant, mature kind of faith. And I'll just say something else. Whatever your mind shift, this is, this is the other reason it's important to have this mind shift because it also determines a lot how you interact with other people and how you treat other people. So I want you to talk about this question this week and, and then next week, we're gonna pick up this conversation right here and take you a little deeper into the process of understanding what a new adult framework for faith looks like. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity just to pause in the middle of this series and deal with some emotional triggers that all of us have experienced and lived with. Some of us so much so that it became traumatic to our faith journey. It was so oppressive and so condemning. God, I just pray that as, as we really look into this question, like, what, what was our view of our relationship with you based upon rules? God, there'll be that moment when your Holy Spirit just helps us understand with you, relationship always precede rules. I pray that there becomes that moment that every time we see a rule, we see those two words, the words of our loving Savior, Jesus, that he not only spoke to his disciples that night, but he speaks to us, my child, my children. And help us hear the love, help us hear the kindness, help us hear the compassion, and help us to hear the tenderness that you have for us as you guide us and as you lead us to grow and mature to the place we don't need the rules anymore. Because we love as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, I give you thanks. Amen. Hey. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you next week.